Hey everybody and welcome back to the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller, uh, your normal host, but nothing's really normal right now with no sports going on. We're going to try and give you some sports talk anyways. Five on your side, Sports Director Frank Cusimano and myself every Sunday night have been interacting with uh, sports fans across the St. Louis area, talking about some of our all-time lists we've got going on right now, and just anything else that kind of pops into our minds. So every Sunday night, that's on social media, and we've decided to turn into a podcast as well. You hear our first one uh, today, following this message right here on the Sports Plus Podcast from this past Sunday. We hope you enjoy. But first, I, I want to get to last week we had... Frank revealed his best basketball players from St. Louis list. That got a lot of attention. His football list this past week also got a lot of attention. Some people think some people were snubbed. Frank, it's it's your floor. Uh, defend your picks. You had Marshall Falk, number one. That seemed like a slam dunk between him and Kurt for no, that number one spot, at least. I think everybody agreed on that. Yeah, a lot of people thought it should be Kurt. And I think that if you put Mark Bolger in there, they're really, really good. But if you put Trung Candidate in there instead of Marshall Falk, they're not quite as good. Now, maybe that's an unfair example, but I think you can make a strong case for Marshall. Um, we got some, some really passionate old Big Red supporters. And, you know, we tried to put as many football Cardinals in as possible. I think the other real controversial one was having Larry Wilson ahead of Orlando Pace. We had uh, Pace, I believe, at four, or no, at five. And then we had Larry at four. And let me tell you something. Larry Wilson was the greatest defensive player we've ever had in St. Louis. And as great as Orlando Pace was, Larry Wilson was insane. You can argue both ways, but we, we talked to a lot of people and we went over it as carefully as possible. And let's face it, Corey, part of the purpose of these things is to generate conversation. And we certainly did a lot of that. I'm glad uh, you had quite a few football Cardinals on there. I think uh, everybody appreciated that a lot. And a lot of guys you really enjoyed watching growing up. I know Mel Gray you gave a special shout-out to. He was my all-time favorite player growing up. Corey, I'm not exactly sure the date when the trash and the recycling comes here at our house, but I can tell you that Dan Deardorff wore number 72 and Conrad Dobler wore number 66 and Tom Banks wore number 54 and Bob Young wore number 64 and Roger Finney 62. That's the offensive line that only allowed seven sacks that season. So I grew up, section 368, my brother Doug on my left, my dad on my right, going to Bush Stadium and watching the Big Red. My favorite, we were able to find some really cool pictures of those old Big Red guys, which I was pretty... I'm pretty happy about my favorite one, though. There was a picture we used of uh, Dan Deardorff. He was down at Cardinal Spring yeah. Training, baseball Cardinal Spring Training, uh, wearing I forget whose helmet it was, but it was way too small. Playing catch with like a over or a really small helmet. That was my favorite picture of the whole time. That was un- I don't know how you found that thing. In fact, I got to tell you, you've done an <laughs> unbelievable job finding some of these old black and white photos. And I have to tell you, with the baseball list looming. And we got cards from the 20s. You are uh, you're going to be challenged this week. Like I don't think this you have like, in your phone right now. Yeah, I don't think you have on your phone right now a picture of Sonny Jim Bottomley, who makes our list, by the way. So it's going to be a challenge. Our, we got a couple comments here. Let's. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald says hello from St. Peter's. Hello, Sean. Thanks for watching. Uh, hey, John Albert Christensen. John Albert Christensen Jr. 
just has a question. Uh, greatest shortstop of all time. Hmm. You know, I, we're a little biased here. We saw the best defensive shortstop of all time easily in Ozzie Smith, and you can make a case for him being uh, the best all-time at the position for just how valuable he was on defense. I think i go Cal Ripken Jr., though, if I absolutely have to, with Honest Wagner as an honorable mention. Well, it kind of depends a little bit on your team. If you're stacked with offense and you don't need home runs from that shortstop position, I'd take Ozzie. You know, one interesting stat about Ozzy, um, he had a season, Corey, where he had like 630 assists. Then the highest assist total last year in Major League Baseball was like 430. I mean, he had seasons that were like secretariat at the Belmont. It wasn't even close in terms of like trying to compare this guy defensively. He's the, he's the all-time best defensive shortstop, but I think you can make a case for him being the all-time best defensive player in baseball history. It's true. Um, Brandon Ebling, we got another comment. Um, will Albert Pujols get a statue outside Bush Stadium when he retires? This is an interesting one because if he would have stayed his here his whole career, I think he'd have a Mujoles statue maybe on the other side of Bush. But it didn't work out that way. He's still going to be a Hall of Famer, still one of the best players to ever play. I think he gets one of those smaller ones out front. What do you think, Frank? In fact, um, I wrote that today in the description of Albert. If he would have stayed, you know, all 20 years, uh, he would have got the statue. It would have been perfect because Stan hits from the left, Albert hits from the right. But because he left after 11 years, he won't get the big statue. I got one unbelievable Pujols stat, too. You know, in that wins above replacement, he led the National League five straight years. Do you know how many people have done that? Zero. Not Willie Mays, not Hank Aaron. He's the only person to ever lead in wins above replacement five straight freaking years. That's insane. We were we were spoiled there for a few few years with Albert, that's for sure. Uh, if you guys are just tuning in, I'm Corey Miller here with Five on Your Side Sports Director Frank Cusimano. Just talking some sports on Sunday night. We've been doing it the last couple weeks because there's no sports to watch, so we're talking about them. Actually, right now at this second, not telling you to leave us, but right now at this second, the Cardinals are getting ready to win the 2006 NLCS on MLB's YouTube page. They're replaying the game I was watching. And I was just thinking, I saw the Andy Chavez catch again, and remembering it, it brought me back to when I was nine years old watching it. Oh, my God, I thought the season was over. If the Mets win that game, I think that Andy Chavez catch of Scott Rowland is one of the greatest catches in the history of baseball. Yeah, and if he doesn't make that catch, Scott Rowland is likely, you know, the NLCS MVP. I can still remember being outside the Cardinal clubhouse uh, when he was benched and Rowland just letting La Russa have it, you know, not live on television, but we were doing television interviews. It soured there and severed their relationship. It's gotten a little bit better, but there was so much drama in that World Series. And before when Rowland got benched, man, that was big news. And, of course, the Adam Wainwright curveball of Beltron coming up, too. Um, let's get it. Troy Bagby says hello from Independence. Hey, Troy. Um, let's get real quick. We'll get back to some Cardinals talk because I think that's what most people want to talk about. But first, you checked in with Blues GM Doug Armstrong recently. The playoffs were supposed to start just a few days ago. They'd be in the middle of that first-round series right now. Uh, everybody's missing it. 
Just what's your latest feel on the NHL season, and when do you think we might see hockey again? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because after Donald Trump, the president, met with all of the commissioners a week ago today, uh, this week there has been nothing but optimism by all the sports leagues, except, of course, the XFL. And uh, I think there's a realistic chance that uh, – you know, we're going to see the NHL as, as early as mid-June, whether it's without fans, I don't know. But I, you know, if, if I had to bet like $1,000, I would bet the National Hockey League will return along with MLB and along with the NBA sometime later this summer. You think they're going to go straight to the playoffs or give them a little time to get ramped back up? Well, I think they'll give them time to get ramped up. Um, Three weeks, that's insane, you know, that some people have been talking like for baseball. That's crazy. They're not going to do that. But I don't think there's going to be a regular season in the NBA. I don't think there's going to be a regular season in the NHL. You'll just start probably with a real creative, you know, way of doing it in the playoffs. And with Major League Baseball, you know, I spent some time with Bill DeWitt also this week, Bill DeWitt third. And, Corey, the impression I get, although you hear ideas about the possibility of playing games in Arizona and Florida – I think the most realistic one is you start up and, okay, if the Cardinals were scheduled to play, you know, the, um, the Chicago Cubs on, July, on June 27th, then that's the way it's going to be. I think it would be too much of a cluster to try to rearrange all these schedules that, hey, when you get the, you know, the okay, it's okay to play, then they'll pick it up as it is shown on the schedule right now. I agree. We're getting a lot of questions in here now. Thanks, guys, for leaving some. I'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, you kind of mentioned the, the XFL here. Pete Harvey asking about the XFL. This looks like it, right? Uh, it, it just, it's really too bad, especially here in St. Louis where there was so much momentum. This looks like it's definitely it for the XFL, though, right? Yeah, when they you know fire all the employees and cancel next season already, it would be pretty tough. You know, everything had to break for this minor league football thing to really work. And it actually was, but COVID-19 knocked it out. And, and, you know, the thinking is it's, it's not coming back. And it, you're right, Corey, it is such a shame because we had back-to-back nearly 30,000 attendance games. We could have had 40 for the LA game. Everything was clicking here in St. Louis. I can still remember, Corey, you remember it too, the talking heads on ESPN saying, hey, the, NX, X, the NFL has to be noticing what's happening in St. Louis with the XFL. It was just going so well here. Obviously, there's bigger things to worry about than than sports, but I can't help thinking just how awesome a weekend this would have been. You would have had an XFL game uh, with the Battlehawks. I think this might have been the the season finale. Then you would have had a first-round playoffs with the Blues. You would have had the Cardinals up in Chicago taking on the Cubs. You would have had the Masters uh, this weekend also. I watched Tigers replay of last year today. And I just missed that so much. This would have been one of the best sports weeks of the year. Yeah, I think my take is the final round at Augusta is the best four hours of television you can get, without a doubt. And this week, I actually watched on Thursday the, the most famous Masters, I think, of them all, the 86 Masters, when 46-year-old Jack Nicklaus won it. And uh, Greg Norman had a chance to tie on 18 and hit it into the gallery. I mean, I was watching this thing almost as intently – you know, this week as I did, you know, a gazillion years ago. 
right, we got a lot of Cardinal questions. Let's get to some of those. I forget who it was. It kind of disappeared on my screen now, but I remember what he said, asking if uh, there's a possibility of Jack Flaherty being a Cardinal a long time. Uh, Jack knows what he's worth, and he's not going to sign too prematurely and get ripped off in his mind. And I think he's going to be very smart about it. I think he'd be if the money's there. I think Flaherty's going to be very receptive to being a, a long-term Cardinal. What do you think, Frank? Um, I can't remember a pitcher so young and so early in his career and so aware of the financial landscape like Jack Flaherty. And that's not necessarily a good thing for the Cardinals. Look, the Cardinals have the money to pay him. And if he's the best pitcher on the planet Earth, he should never wear another uniform for the rest of his career. But he is going to milk it, and he's going to be really smart about it. Another question from Matt Johnston. Are the Reds a credible threat for the NL Central? Well, according to the projections, uh, yeah. And when you look at the lineup, it, it's hard to argue against them, and their pitching staff's better. I think on paper, maybe with just the guys they have, they might look like the best team, although they were 16 games out last year. I don't know if they're 16 games better with the yeah. moves they made, but on pa on paper, they're definitely the favorite, I think, going into the year, if you just look at their the guys on the roster. Uh, I don't think I don't think they're 16 games better than the Cardinals from last year. I don't think they'd make that up. And I think the big advantage for the Cardinals now is with a season that's going to be condensed with a lot of games played in a short period of time. The advantage goes to the Cardinals because they have more major league ready arms on their staff right now than any staff in the National League Central and likely the National League. So I think the Reds have a formidable lineup and they do have pitching, but I still like the Cardinals over the Reds. Let's get into something here. I wrote a uh, story, I think it actually just published yesterday on our website, just about like a Cardinals all-time arsenal. Because I saw Jack Flaherty, even Wainwright, some guys throwing out their individual best pitches for guys. Obviously, Flaherty's a big Gibson fan. He had to put him on there. And Mariano's cutter, that was a big one too. So it got me to thinking, what would a Cardinals all-time arsenal of just singular pitches look like? I think the most devastating pitch in all-time in Cardinals history is that Bruce Suter split finger. And I put it on there with some others. Uh, Frank, I know you chimed in. You helped me make the list. What's your favorite uh, yeah, Cardinals think, individual pitch? Well, Suter's was for a short period of time, four years, but he had 36 saves when they won it in, uh, in 82, and no one could touch it. I think the most unhittable pitch in Cardinal history is Bob Gibson's slider. I saw him strike out 17 in game one of the 68 World Series. That's, that's unbelievable. Wainwright's curveball at its best was really, really good. And the one thing we can't forget, I know you wrote about it, is the Michael Waka changeup early in his career. I mean, there was a stretch there. It's almost like every time he went out there, he was going to throw a one-hitter, a two-hitter, three-hitter, four-hitter. Hey, one of the five best pitch games I've ever seen in, the, in Cardinal history was Waka's game four in Pittsburgh in the NLDS in his rookie year. That was insane in Pittsburgh. I His changeup... Uh... Andy made a good case. Our producer, Andy Muller, made a good case for John Tudor. So I ended up putting him in the changeup. But Michael Waka has the nastiest changeup I've ever seen uh, in person. That's for sure. It was unhittable. And I almost – I didn't put him on there because I thought people might give me some flack for it. But Tyler Lyons has one of the most devastating breaking balls I've ever seen. I think it's technically a slider. But, I mean, when he was on, 
I, his slider was one of the nastiest pitches I've ever seen. But I thought people would, would give me some grief if I put that one on there up against the likes of Gibson and guys like that. So I didn't put it on there. Yeah. That was a wise move by you because that name doesn't belong, but he did have a good pitch. <laughs> um, We got a question from Vincent asking, since we're going to have a shortened season in some form or fashion for the Cardinals, is this bad news for Dylan Carlson or maybe good news for Dylan Carlson? Uh, you know, I think it's actually good news, Corey. I don't know how you feel, but with so many games, and there's no question in my mind that with uh, a high volume of games in a short period of time, Major League Baseball is going to have to consent to expanded rosters. So if you are, in fact, playing at least one and maybe two double headers a week. Well, I think that, you know, a guy like Dylan Carlson could get regular work. Maybe not at the very beginning, but go down and have, you know, get a hundred bats and play every day. And then when it really gets, you know, heavily, a lot of games in a short period of time. Yeah. Let's play him. Yeah. I think it helps his chances actually. I, th- I you know, I hadn't really thought about it until right now, but I, I think you're right. Especially if they're allowed to do expanded rosters, um, why not bring him up here for however many games it's going to be, give him a chance to see what he can do. And in such a shortened time period like that, you need your best players because every game matters that much more. And we saw in spring training and last year, just how good he is and how ready he is. Let's take a look. here. Yep. We got a, uh, we got an Arenado question again. Um, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that in a while. Um, especially now, I think I, I just put that way on the back burner. Is, is there any chance Nolan Arenado is ever a Cardinal by trade? I, I doubt it. I mean, everything out of Mr. DeWitt to Mr. Mosellock's mouth does not seem like an organization about to add $35 million a year to the payroll. No, I'd love them, but it's not going to happen. I agree. Um, we're kind of slowing down on questions, so let's do, you know, we had some fun with this last time. I got my Cardinal binder full of baseball cards. I'm going to flip open to a random page, see if we can remember anything about some guy on there. Okay. All right. We got Tony Pena. We got Tony Pena, Frank. What, uh, you know, he for as good many years was he a Cardinal? Not many, maybe two or three, maybe three. Okay, so here's the thing. Yeah, he just didn't hit here. You know, he's a terrific player and had a good career, played in some all-star games. But, man, when he came here, he just didn't hit at all. I mean, at all. And he was a part of the uh, the Van Slyke trade, I believe, with Pittsburgh. And Andy became, you know, one of the best center fielders of his generation. And it's mainly because Andy wasn't going to play here with Willie McGee. But, yeah, Pena helped you win, but he just didn't produce. Look at those numbers. Yeah, let me flip to another one here. Oh, boy. Okay, here we got a good one here. Jeff Weaver, who the Cardinals would not have won the 2006 World Series that I was just watching their postseason earlier without this guy. He's one of the coolest stories I think we've seen in St. Louis in a while. Just took a flyer on him. Dave Duncan worked his magic, and he turned into a great pitcher and a key part of the World Series team. Yeah, for a very short period of time, he lived up to the vast potential he had. He, he kind of reminded me of Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I can still remember <laughs> interviewing him after the World Series and all the champagne flowing. He was a free spirit, but boy, that guy pitched down the stretch for that championship team. 
He does look like Spicoli. All right. Oh, yeah. He was a free spirit, man. Who else do I got? Well, most of these I'm flipping to are current guys, and we talk about them all the time. Hold on. All right, here we go. You just did a story on this guy not that long ago who came to speak. Bob Tewksbury, who I believe now is a, he's like a, motive, not a motivational coach, but he's working with major league organizations on more of the mental side, isn't he? He is, and uh, you're a little bit for this, but uh, there used to be a song by Roberta Flack called Killing Me Softly, and that's what Bob Tewksbury did. I mean, he didn't throw a fastball. You know, the 93, 94 miles. And he, he had a couple of seasons there that were just magical. He outthought you. He outsmarted you. He was just a pitcher's pitcher and really a gentleman. And Joe Torre loved him. We all loved him in the media, too. Went to an all-star game, I believe, here in St. Louis. He was just a joy to cover. And he wrote a book about his time in baseball. I remember meeting him at the bookstore to do the interview. Okay, we got a good one here. I think this would have been one of my favorite guys if I was growing up in this time. Terry Pendleton. Just watching highlights of him, I like how he plays. Um, just a, a really good hitter. Just kind of contact bat-to-ball guy, if I remember. Or from what, I, what I've what i been told. Uh, and actually, he was brought up in, I don't know if you saw the Michael Vick uh, documentary on ESPN, but Terry Pendleton was brought in to help Michael Vick learn how to slide correctly so he wouldn't get hit hard and not hurt during NFL games. It didn't work right. He couldn't figure out how to slide. But they brought Terry Pendleton in to try and teach him. Yeah, and he was an unbelievable fielder, too. I mean, he was a part of that great infield with Ozzie and Tommy Herr. Later, it was Jack Clark at first, who wasn't a gold glover. But Pendleton was just perfect for Whitey Ball because he ran. You know, he stole bases. He hit for power or some power. He's more of a gap hitter. But gosh, did he field and he ran. He was just a winning player. Cardinals would not have won in 85 and 87 without Terry Pendleton. I think we did. Here we go. This is one of my – we got another good question on, on there I'll get to after this card. But this is one, one of my favorite guys. So Taguchi was, is, is kind of the closet favorite Cardinals player of, I think, a lot of people. He was just so, just a lovely guy, and he was just loved playing baseball. He was fun to watch. He was good off the bench for the team. Had one of the biggest home runs uh, in that 2006 campaign against the Mets off Billy Wagner in that NLCS. Uh, how was interviewing so? He seemed like he'd be a fun time. Could not have been more of a gentleman. La Russa loved him like a son. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because we were going through, like, the best numbers in St. Louis sports history. So we got to 99 and we put it up for vote. And so Taguchi got more votes than Wayne Gretzky because Gretzky was here for 16 games. <laughs> so was here for a while and everybody loves. So Taguchi. Yeah, he was a winning player. And boy, I tell you what, uh, don't, uh, don't underestimate him as a defender. That guy was a really good defensive player. He was in the Japanese media, I think last I checked, but he was working towards, I read a, right. uh, an article. He wants to, he wants to be the first Japanese manager in Major League Baseball, which I think would be really cool. I don't know if he's crossed over to coaching yet, but he was in the media. I think he'd be pretty good at it, too. I think his wife was a lovely lady, and she was actually uh, in the television angle. 
And so I think she's helped him move, you know, gravitate into that field. But she was great. All right, let's take another question or two, and then we'll sign off for the night. Uh, Mark Baker is asking about the uh, opinion on the proposal of the divisions this season. If We kind of talked about we think they should just resume the schedule as is, but if they do do this Florida and Arizona thing, they're talking about different divisions because the Cardinals would be in Florida with not all the teams. Cardinals, Nationals, Astros, Marlins, Mets. What do you think about just a total mix-up of the divisions if we're playing grapefruit and cactus leagues? Well, look, if the alternative is no baseball at all or that kind of baseball, I would take it. But I think I go back to my earlier statement. I just think that they're going to pick this thing up and they're going to play the schedule as is uh, sometime in, you know, in the summer. Although it's a fascinating idea and there have been a lot of them, but I, I still think the other idea is going gonna, is gonna to happen. I agree. Let's take one more question before we sign off from Vincent again. Uh, asking, what's, what can we expect from Tarasenko when the Blues come back? Because he's going to be fully healthy, uh, we're assuming right now, because of the, all this time off. He was getting ready to come back anyways. We've so, seen him showing off his goaltender skills at home with his kids. Uh, I'm expecting big things from him when he comes back because he's going to be chomping at the bit to, to prove himself and get this team back to another Stanley Cup. Absolutely, and everything out of Doug Armstrong's mouth the other day was really encouraging about him. I think Coach Barubia said good things about him. Yeah, he's he's definitely ready to go. I would be. He may come back and be on that first line in the first game of the playoffs too. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us here on Sunday night. I'm Corey Miller with Frank Cusimano in the KSDK Sports, just chatting some sports on a, on a Sunday night since we know you're missing it as much as us. Uh, we'll look to keep doing this on Sunday nights as long as uh, we don't have any sports to actually watch. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe.